0: You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 458 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Mr. Seth Miller. How you doing? I'm tired. How are you? I'm, I'm okay. You, uh, you did a little planes, trains, and automobiles? I guess it was mostly trains.
1: the <laughs> trains this past weekend. Uh, planning, planning some significant planes, trains, and automobiles, though, next week. So. Where, where are you going to it next week? Japan. Ah,
0: this is the trip. Are you, is, base, is baseball still going on there?
1: No, baseball season is over. Oh. Sumo season is on. Okay. you going to so do some sumo? We talked about this. That's the reason we planned Fukuoka as our second destination after we know I bought, basically, like book tickets to and from Tokyo because that's easy and I found a word space. Um, and then sorted out, sort it yeah, out for two weeks and then sort it all out once you get there. Kind of yes. my MO for this sort of trip. And when I realized we, we had done baseball previously, actually, with uh, Richard Kerr, uh, mm-hmm. he took us to the first our first game. That was pretty awesome. And then wanted to do some other sporting event. Went looking, found sumo was running the sumo tournament this week. It's which started uh, this week. It's a two week event is in Fukuoka. And so booked tickets. And it's like, well, I guess I need to find just flights to Fukuoka and flights back to Tokyo and something to do for a week down there. um it's interesting we originally planned to make maybe spend like two extra days in fukuoka after the sumo tournament Mm -hmm. and now we're gonna spend six nights there a long time we're doing a bunch of day trips by train rather than moving ourselves like we bought the i know the jr pass went up significantly in price but the regional jr pass is still a five day kyushu north and kyushu is the island that fukuoka's on that's the southernmost island in japan Mm -hmm. islands uh the five day pass I want to say was like a hundred bucks each, and then you pay ten or what it? it's a thousand or fifteen hundred yen, so six to nine dollars these days with the exchange rate for each train that you want to reserve. Okay, and that covers all of the special trains in the mm-hmm. region, and there's a bunch of them. So you can get we are got booked on I think three of the different specialty trains, which are like three or four cars and done up like classic grail cars done up in a special way and they're all themed they have special meals on board that you can order some you have to order in advance, some you just get when you're on board but like all local pr- produce and things like that it's a pretty nifty should be good i'm excited for it It looks like a good plan so we'll see yeah that's awesome um but yeah it was one of those things like each of the t- each of those individual trips and it works on the shinkansen sort of in the region there's a more expensive one if you want to do the full island uh, and some other options but those prices didn't go up that much and i you know, looking at what we needed plus what we wanted, we probably saved 150 or 200 bucks each using the pass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Counterpoint to that, we booked extra trains because we had the pass, but, you know, this is like, <laughs> how do you qualify how much money you saved if you wouldn't have booked the thing anyways? But we needed something to do those days, and there was going to be touristing, so we decided What's to tourist by train.
0: What's all the memes? It's like girl math. I guess this is Seth math.
1: Yeah, I... <laughs> that is also, I was in the neighborhood. Which means if I'm anywhere in Europe, I can go anywhere else in Europe because it's just a quick flight away. <laughs> I um, like your don't math. Be, don't yeah. be like me.
0: Yeah. yeah. No. Or or be exactly like you. Bad be the for everybody. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, yeah, uh, that, that sound, bad, so. yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, um, by the way, I'm not going to be on next week's episode. <laughs> I I mean, I <laughs> thought you were going to take
1: the call from a train. But... Uh, actually, you know what? The, I will be there with a couple other... Aviation inclined dorks. Maybe we'll record it instead. Oh. If you if you have time, and you can yeah,
0: buy them a beer. I'm pack that stuff. But anyway, you, you can tell you can tell them that uh, the Patreon subscribers have bought them a beer. How about that? Yes, right. always. Um, let's talk about North Atlantic. Yeah. So they're actually looking at potentially joining an, an alliance. What when? I don't
1: think it's an alliance so much. Like not in the traditional sense of that term, where we talk about you know the big three. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to decide if this is legit or if this is sort of a pump and dump play by the CEO. Uh, He basically, in an interview, said he's had interest from larger players, one large and one medium sized, to partner with Norse and provide feed, etc. And on the one hand, like, they're doing some interesting things. They're rolling out a new uh, premium cabin. Right now, like new soft product for the most part. I think I don't think they're changing the seats, but a a nice upgrade to their soft product. Uh, They're actually running charters to Antarctica this week as well, which is cool, but obviously not. I mean, that's charter operations. That's not something that you buy into a sort of long-term relationship just because, but it's cool. Uh, And they're they're maybe actually sort of making money. So like, right, I think they made money last quarter. Obviously winter is coming. We'll see how well they do going through this cold cycle and how twenty twenty four plays out. But it's it's interesting to me the idea of should they have partners and whatnot. Like they probably need short haul feed, but do other big airlines want them as just a long haul partner? Are there airlines that also have their own long haul that would want to partner with them and like have a hybrid play? I, I have to think it's the former, right? Like a short haul on the operator, but I don't know. Wow, hm. and especially given their head, you know, their main focus, despite being named Norse at Gatwick, EasyJet is an obvious candidate as a mid-sized player that could feed them a lot of traffic. I think they actually already have an interline agreement or a virtual interline agreement, so there's some potential there. Do you think that's where they? Do you think that's where they struggle the most? Is getting beat? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. I'll, Sort of the many million dollar question for long haul airlines is always, can you generate enough traffic point to point O and D, right? Origin and destination traffic. Or do you need feeders from other smaller cities, especially given that so many big airlines do have that feed and are able to sort of, you know, it's a a different set of economics, but it theoretically works. I guess where I was
0: going, though, is is, or is it the feed on the European side or is it the the feed on the
1: U.S. Yes. nation side, you think? Fair, fair point. Um, just looking at who the U.S. options are, I don't see where. I mean, Spirit, who's in the middle, of being bought out by JetBlue, assuming he <laughs> allows that, which the court case is ongoing and has been vaguely interesting, but nothing too surprising yet. Or, and like, I mean, JetBlue stock is trading so low, <laughs> even if the buyout happens and the integration happens, like, how the hell's that going to look? Um, I don't know, like. You need someone that's got operations at enough of the gateways in the United States to do that feed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like they're they're really serving leisure markets in the U.S. Like they're yeah. feeding things to beaches and big cities that people want to visit. So I think you're right. Like it's mostly the European side. I was just wondering if they would want to do anything on a connection type.
1: Basis. Yeah, and they might actually have Spirit as a virtual interline partner and you know, an interline partner as well. I feel like I mean, we went through this once. Um, and were
0: totally I feel that. like you mentioned it, I do feel like you mentioned it, so yeah. maybe maybe they are,
1: yeah, they did. They have an inter- virtual airline powered by dohop or DoHop. so okay from last year, so that is there, um but again, I think this this is a new type of partnership and possibly a more financially integrated one uh is it in theory what's happening there so but yep. I mean to the point about feed and where do you get it right It's like same question to ask for global airlines, assuming they ever get there act together and get the A380s flying. (laughs) How are they going to feed and fill a 400-seat plane multiple times a week across the Atlantic to all these destinations? And yes, demand across the Atlantic is nearly infinite during the summer, and it seems to be recovering very, very well right now, but winter is coming. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, no, fair enough. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about United. Uh, They tweaked some of their frequent flyer, Program uh, to actually give a little more rewards for spending on the credit card.
1: Yeah, of the four major, we'll say four major programs in the U.S., uh, United's changes are the least dramatic going into next year. Right, Delta massive. Well, up- actually, Americans' changes are the least dramatic. They didn't do anything. Um, yeah. But the Americans riding sort of the wave of they did all their changes a year ago and are just right, you know, rolling with it now. Southwest made a bunch of changes, uh, changed qualifying rules and whatnot. United sort of didn't change anything um which i think we all agree there was one bit that was surprising they didn't change uh which is the bonus points to start the year yep and then separately the one thing they did change is credit card related earning is much more it's much more lucrative and has a much higher upside
0: uh, yeah and i i mean i think the let's clarify so they're they're united in the past few years has given bonus pqps they their qualifying points, which they it's linked to dollars spent. Uh, they've given kind of like a, a starter number, right? Uh, for every elite level, and so if you were a one k, you got I think it was you know two thousand or twenty five hundred PQPs to start the year, and that sounds like it's
1: continuing, which I think is surprising because because they didn't raise the they didn't raise the total qualifying level. Which if you're going to raise the rate, you should just not give the freebies at the beginning instead of raising the rate because that's an easier. Policy to stomach. Yeah. But yeah, it's surprising to me that they're doing that.
0: Yeah. Is it... Do you think it's because it's weaker?
1: Like, travel's weaker? Or... So, I don't think travel is weaker. I think... Right? I mean, if you look at their numbers, they'd say travel is spectacular. Delta and United are both posting gangbusters numbers in a lot of ways. But I think it's... I think it's less frequent traveler, right? Like, you're getting more people traveling but instead of 10% of your consumers generating 60% of your revenue or whatever some sort of skew like that which is sort of I'm making those numbers up but that's sort of in line with how it used to be right you yeah. have very frequent flyers traveling premium long haul the pool is a little bigger because it's you know that blend of premium leisure and business travel the people right there's not as much and we've heard this from a lot of airlines there's not as much Day trips and overnights, but there's longer trips happening. So, the, there's not, pe- people aren't generating the volume of travel and revenue that individually that they may have previously done. So, you know, it's, it's, there's still plenty of travelers. I think there's still plenty of demand, but it's a slightly fewer, it's more people involved. Yeah. Yeah. And so, this lets United look at sort of if, you know, the, as an airline, they sort of look not only at the, value that the program brings in but like they want a certain number of people roughly at each tier that's and we've talked about this a lot in the past like how many people can you support how many people can you deliver service to um if you have you know if 80 percent of your customers are 1ks you can't deliver forget free upgrades you can't deliver priority boarding you can't deliver priority baggage check-in all of those things in a reasonable way and so you've got to control the number of people in each group and at each tier it seems to me like what United is saying is they're doing okay on the split of sort of how many are each tier and are able to mm-hmm. keep growing those groups, and then uh, and that's counter to like Delta, which was our landers are terribly overcrowded, partly because of elites, partly because of credit card uh, members. We're changing all our rules to kick a lot of them out. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah, uh, yeah and, and then on top of this, right? We, we've talked about the credit card spend now being rewarded. Um so they're they're allowing you to earn PQPs for the amount of dollars that you spend on a united co brand credit card.
1: Um I find this odd. Like I think But you always could sort of earn them, but the difference is now it's like it's much smaller chunks, right? You, yeah, like... yeah, you can earn you
0: can you can earn at slower. At lower cutoffs, I guess. Like you, you know, spending $25 now, I think, earns you a point or something. Like, I, I haven't done the math, but...
1: I think it's like, yeah, it's like $500 tiers instead of $5,000 tiers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I, I like this as a consumer. Again, with the... There's been a shift in the industry, and this is not entirely that, but sort of towards micro-redemption, micro-valuations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think this is playing into that, where, like, okay... Maybe I'm not going to get five thousand, but if I'm not going to get five thousand, if the user's not going to get five thousand, how do we still capture a little of their extra spend? How do we keep this compelling to them? And they've done it. There's a couple others that have done similar. And I honestly, I think JetBlue actually, with their tiles program when they updated uh, Mosaic earlier this year, sort of led on this front. And there's just the same thing. It's uh, used to be just spend fifty thousand dollars and you get your status. Mm-hmm. Now it's spent, I think it's every. 500 every thousand on the credit card gets you some credit towards status and yeah. you can mix and match. And so, especially for me, where I use the JetBlue credit card to burn the bulk of my status, I used to do all of it. Now I don't have to put all my spend on that card because I still fly a little. Also, it used to be that like the money I spent on the tickets was kind of wasted in terms of qualifying. And now it's mm. actually valuable to me. So I can move some of my credit card spend to other cards that you know, I can sort of, you know, maybe I want those points more or I want some other benefits elsewhere. It's great for me in that sense. And I know I'm getting some of the numbers wrong in terms of how many points for what spend, but but um, you get the idea. And so, I, again, though, I think JetBlue sort of led the way on this one. Delta's now copied it. Uh, I think Southwest also similarly adjusted recent, right? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yep. So I like this. And I like that part of it.
0: Yeah, I, I think... Um one i, I mean, it makes me question whether united's co-brand spend like their credit cards their branded credit cards has have been lucrative for them or if they've been kind of a loser lately um and i lean towards the loser because i think unlike you like i think a lot of people i think more people are spending on generic credit cards than they are co-branded ones maybe there's people who who spend only on their delta card but i think people have gotten smart to some of that stuff and they would rather have the the points in a more fungible uh, tangible redeemable currency
1: yeah excellent word i love fungible fungible yeah (laughs) able to be spent Uh, (laughs) i agree i think that there definitely has been a shift more towards bank programs and cashback programs Uh, yeah and so that is should theoretically be a challenge across all the airlines um you know delta because they're only an amex partner has a little more insulation from that and also like Delta has drives a lot of the Amex, even the regular Amex program traffic because of that. Um versus uh Chase Ultimate Rewards, Cap One points, Venture Points, whatever, the uh, Wells Fargo's program, all those a little bit different now. Yeah, yeah. Um and so yeah, I do think that there's a shift towards that. Um I mean heck, you could argue that even the the bill no annual fee option is compelling in a lot of ways for people that want points that can be spent in different places so yep yep uh i have al- always loved those programs and i say that as someone who puts a lot of spend on the JetBlue card for the status but also a lot of spend on chase cards because i have a lot of ultimate rewards points and i like the way they transfer to the different programs i should diversify and spend them actually redeem them better but here we are
0: yeah i i just i think i mean i think you make a good point like delta is fairly insulated um yeah. And I think United is less insulated because they one they have a ton of co brand option cards similar to, to Amex, but it's mostly with Chase. I do think yep. they have some that aren't Chase, or they did not I don't in the U.S. Not in the U.S. Yeah, um, but I think the Chase options. It's like when you look at a Chase option, you are like, well, I can just go with you know one of the you know Explore you know whatever it's called Chase uh, Sapphires or Sapphire Preferred, you know, yeah, all, all those, and I can transfer those points the same way I could if I wanted to into United's program or I could use them as cash or whatever. And I think it's harder to justify the United cards. Um, I mean, we know, we know people who have switched from paying a fee for a United card to going to the free one because why I'm not going to use it. I want to have the card for ancillaries or I want to pay for something on the plane and I want to have that discount, but I'm not going to pay United for the privilege of having a card. So it's, 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 it's inter- I, I think it's fun to, to look at this and, and make some speculative uh, uh, calls, but maybe I'm a dork. So.
1: Yeah, but of course we're dorks. I mean, yes, I am. That's why we do that every <laughs> week.
0: Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about airplanes now. I mean, there's a, a big air show was in Dubai um, and out of um, out of that came some orders. But before we talk about that, we should talk about ITA and they have some A321 Neos that they're.
1: Yeah, the first 321neo was delivered. It's a f- interesting. They, they did a four-class cabin. Okay. Um, and we can debate whether it's really four-class or not. But uh, there's lie flat business class, proper 2-2 premium economy, and then a 3-3 extra legroom comfort class plus regular economy in the back. And they are one of very few airlines to take that approach to a single-aisle plane. SAS does it as well. Um, there's others that do business and then extra legroom and regular, but not many that do the full premium economy. I think United is expected to an American is expected to on their LRs or XLRs. Mm. But, uh, what's weird about this or interesting about this is that ITA did it on a regular a321, not a, or Neo, not an LR, not an XLR, which suggests that especially given their hub location, that's not going to cross the Atlantic. Yeah. Now it can cover a good chunk of Africa and a good chunk of the Middle East, and those are markets where there's definitely some premium demand. But it is a very interesting choice to put that cabin design on that type of plane, given where they're based.
0: Yeah, I mean, doing it on the Neo seems like a weird,
1: it just why why like a we, weird choice. Yeah, and also why you know if you're gonna do do it by the L R or by the X L R and plan longer flights. That said. I'm not sure the XLR gets them much past Boston or New York, and those are places they're going to run long haul. So, like, where would you, or sorry, Ita, um, you know, we'll pretend that slip didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> where are they going to put? Where? Where? What markets could they put planes in where single aisle makes a lot of sense? Unless their goal is to, and right now, for reasons they're feeding theoretically Tel Aviv and. Uh, london i right? tell Tel it was supposed to be the launch market but now it's london because tel aviv challenges yeah. um right Wait, where do you put that plane that actually makes sense yeah i mean I, I mean maybe dubai um
0: yeah but but again one i think it's i have I have a few comments before we dig into this it so the 2-2 is the weirdest part of this to me the 2-2 seating in premium economy i love it i mean i love it it's just it's They've taken it. it it's an A 321 It's an American Airlines, uh, uh, Transcon old config plane. Basically, is what it looks like. So, hey, yeah.
1: Except the two uh, is not live flat.
0: That's true. Fair enough. Um. So, I mean, I think it's it's interesting. So it's got a range about what is it? Four thousand miles? Is it a little less than that?
1: Something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, they could do like Abu Dhabi. I guess they could do.
1: Yeah, you can do the Middle East, you can do
0: a good chunk of Africa. But is there enough demand, I guess, in Abu Dhabi or Africa? Maybe. I mean, there is a large Ethiopian like diaspora, I guess, in Italy and parts of uh,
1: And and let's assume that they Europe. want to use the connecting flow, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not gonna all be a O and D traffic. But yeah, I'm looking here. So four thousand nautical miles, which is what the plane is rated at. Obviously, you have some limits based on whatever. Uh, Boston, New York, D.C. sort of qualifies and get into Canada up there as well. But let's assume they're not going to go transatlantic. You've got almost all of Africa. Just you, you stop just short of South Africa. You've got the entire Middle East, and you've got basically all of India, and you've got Western China. I mean, India would be huge, right? India would be huge. And I, I'm not sure what the bilateral is there, but if they could start flowing some traffic out of India. But again, India is almost always high volume not premium not high yeah. quality which is yeah, not, yeah. a nice way to say that but right it's not there is premium traffic obviously but it's really a volume play more often than not so
0: can they do i mean i guess they could do it looks if, if they can do everything north of south africa i mean they could do some of the touristy spots yeah you know like zanzibar uh you do addis
1: you have to do addis I think zanzibar is zanzibar, zanzibar is like th- thirty seven hundred miles or something. Yeah, it's on the coast there. It's probably okay. You can do a windhook, you can do Namibia. Like or you can make you know, there was some discussion uh when Carson Spohr Carson the Lufthansa Group CEO mm-hmm. talking about the plans for that acquisition, um, was talking about West Africa and some of those markets. Again, I'm not sure I mean, range certainly would be fine. I'm not sure it's the right plane for those given the cargo and baggage demands. Yeah. And the volume needed in a lot of those markets, but it's it's very strange to me that Ita uh, thinks this is the right long haul plane and range given where they are in the on the map. Hmm. So we'll see. But it's cool. It's cool looking inside. Yeah, I mean, it looks nice. It looks really nice. Yeah. So two years before Lufthansa rips it all out and puts those seats on, puts um, put seats
0: uh, that are too heavy for it on it.
1: Yeah, put, takes all those <laughs> seats and just puts them on triple seven xs because they can't get any other seats that fit right.
0: Yeah. God, we live in weird times.
1: Um,
0: so then, uh, what else happened at the Dubai Air Show? It looks like Emirates and maybe uh, Dubai, uh,
1: Dubai yeah. and Air Baltic uh, all had big orders. So Emirates, uh, ninety-five more plane. Ninety was it? Uh, ninety-five planes. I think it's seventy triple seven X uh or sixty triple seven X, sixty more and thirty-five seven eighty sevens. Wow. So the, and again, there's always, you know, more wide bodies, obviously. The 777X, they're now saying that first deliveries in 2025 is still the plan or expectation. Um, Boeing is still talking about what the certification program is going to look like. So, you know, good luck on that. Uh, The new order, as we have seen with a lot of these recent mega orders, appears to be a lot about grabbing delivery slots further down the line. Now, it's hard for me to believe that, Boeing wide-body delivery slots are that hard to come by, but the, uh, the updated order will basically extend new aircraft deliveries through uh, 2035 for the 787s. Wow. Or excuse me, for the 777s, the 777X. That includes uh, the 777-8, which is the smaller one. Mm-hmm. Um, A little surprising to me that Emirates is going with the 8. They don't often pick smaller planes. They like bigger ones, but... Obviously, there's some reasoning there. And then and those planes are now expected by 2030. Um, And the 787s, again, they're doing dash 10s and dash 8s. So, and actually 20 dash, it's 30 days. So it's 20 dash 10s and, excuse me, 20 dash 8s and 10 dash 10s for a total of 30 and then 65 of the triple seven x is added. But again, they've gone for the small plane, um, which most airlines that have ordered it, and taken the 787-8 and sort of put it into service. So like, yeah, we uh, for trip cost and everything else, the 9 really is a better sweet spot. A shrink is always tough to work with. So that's surprising to me that they picked 20 of them. Do you, I, do
0: you think, I mean, it's weird to me. The, the weirdest part of all this with Emirates is they are very, they seem very
1: committed to to Boeing. Well, and they have 70 A350s already on order. Yeah, and those are supposed to start showing up next year, I think, uh, or also in 2025. So th- those are coming. They have they have the largest A380 fleet in the world.
0: Have, what I meant is like.
1: Still, but... Well, I mean,
0: we know we know we know that this triple seven X is probably going to be the replacement of the A380 over time, right? Right. I just I, I seem very committed to Boeing's delivery of this plane. That's still not I, we're still not convinced it's going to be delivered in 2025. Right. Um, I mean, I guess they can fill that gap with some A350s if they need to. It's just it's, yeah, it, it's a interesting choice.
1: It is, and I, I see where you're coming from, but, you know, if you, I look at it as, they've got a decade still to sort it all out with the fleet they've got. They want to get to about 350 planes by the end of this decade, and they're at 260 today. Yeah. If they just took the new 350s, they'd be fine. Yep. Um, in reality, they want a little more, and so they're trying, but right now, they could get away with just that, and then as these come in, they have the flexibility to either grow or retire older sevens. And some of, the, some of their older sevens need to go. Right? they, Of the 260 planes they've got today, about 110 are getting the premium economy retrofit. Yep. So we can assume that those are the ones they plan to keep around longer. And another 150 are sure plan to ride off into the sunset sooner than not. But yep. if they have to re- refit some more, right? that program is supposed to run for a while. If they have to refit a few more, they can do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's funny when you said that now, I, I'm like looking at their fleet and I'm like, oh, it's basically just A380s and 777s. That's all it is now. Yeah. Um. So
1: And they did that on purpose, right? They got rid of some, I want to say some 330 classics back in the day. Yep. And so bringing back in the variety into their fleet adds complexity, adds costs. It's kind of interesting to see them doing that. And along those same lines, you've got Fly Dubai, which is... Their sister airline, if you will, mm-hmm. um, the right, same group, parent company, government of Dubai owns them, or the government of the UAE, uh, added 30 787s to its order book, uh, mm-hmm. having previously been entirely a 737 operator. Yeah, yeah. are very dedicated to the Boeing thing. And there's suggestion that those 30 planes are the 30 787-9s that uh, Emirates originally ordered. And it sort of transferred those over to the sister airline and added the other 35 planes to sort of grow things. Yep. And maybe that's to just to shift delivery slot timing around. I think that Fly Dubai adding the 787 uh, is more surprising than the stuff Emirates is doing.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I wasn't aware that they were doing 787s. I,
1: that's wild to me. I just announced it today. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that and that one, they're saying... Not necessarily for the Dash 9, but not necessarily for long-haul operations. They want the additional cargo capacity, and they want the additional passenger capacity that they fly to a certain number of markets where either landing slots or other operational reasons, they have trouble increasing capacity, but there's demand. This lets them do that. Yeah. But given how much of the Emirates and Fly Dubai operations are basically overlapped everything out of, you know, out of Dubai their code share everywhere, they move passengers somewhat seamlessly between the two. It's a little surprising to me that they chose to add wide body pilots into the operation, unless and like the complexity of additional not necessarily product types, because they sell flatbed seats already, but like having to have another fleet type to sell and how you manage the yield management and moving those around and routing them. And like it's just it's another set of variables you have to work with. Versus yeah letting Emirates do that and selling as a code share. Hmm. Since Emirates is... I, the only thing I can think is that... Or not the only thing, but one of the things I think I think about is they probably have a lower pay scale for pilots and mm-hmm. crew, mm-hmm. cabin crew, and so they're probably going to save some money that way. But... I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird. Anyway, yeah. yeah,
1: And then Air Baltic uh, on its way to getting uh, a fleet of 50 a two twenty three hundreds has now announced another firm 30 and 20 options, which is what their initial order was. Um planning to be at a hundred planes by end of the decade. And there are four wow. today. So yeah, that one, right? Like they I like their operation. I like that plane. I think they use it well for the most part. They have a mm-hmm. they do a Eurobiz flex, and which is really nice on a two three layout. They can you get either a solo side or a two out of three, you know. It works Plenty well of for room. them. Yeah, there is. Um you know, not maybe not the legroom, but you get plenty of space. I like that product. They actually do a proper premium catering as well, um, on par with some of the better other European operators I've seen. But they also uh, have had a lot of trouble the past couple of years figuring out what demand really is, which countries are going to be open, how they're going to balance everything. Yep. And like, so they operate today, their A220s are operating for Swiss but they also had to import planes to operate some of their schedule because all of theirs were accounted for and they saw opportunity to grow. They had to, you know, they added the hub at Tampere in Finland, however Mm -hmm. you pronounce that, right? But like, and they're growing it, but how how well is it growing? And, you know, it's sort of supposed to be feeder to, a mix of feeder to other big airlines, Air France, KLM, some others, um, while also running local traffic. And so... As they continue to grow, and you have to make some assumptions on if and when Russia and Central Asian, you know, stands uh, yeah. become available. Um, and I know it's not the nice way to refer to all those countries, but you get the idea, um, right? Like, how do when do those markets come back, and can they start overflying Russia again at some point and start serving them? That was a big part of their market that they had to very quickly cut some of thin air. Yeah, yeah. So, and they have to do it without long haul planes. You know, but yeah, I mean,
0: I, I wonder how much, you know, I'm I'm sure there's traffic down to places like uh, Uzbekistan and I mean, there's always been ties right between the Baltics and yeah, but
1: you uh, gotta go. If you gotta go all the way around uh, Russia, that's
0: not, it's very much out of the way. Yeah. Um, wow. It's, uh, that's interesting. I mean, it's good that they're getting planes. I'm glad that it, you know, it will kind of relieve some of their demand issues that they've had where they've, you know, they not had a plane. Um, so we'll see how they keep growing. Yeah. Then uh, Turkish had a huge Airbus order.
1: Well, sort of maybe. Oh. That's the. This is, so it's like they took picture. There's a photo of like handshakes between the teams on the banks of the Bosphorus and Istanbul and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But Airbus hasn't formally. Neither has formal. Neither air. Neither company has formally announced it. There's been a lot of talk about this, and there's been now this picture that's out there. But it's not clear that it's a done deal yet. Like they took all the press photos, and there's a comment about bringing the Dubai Air Show to Istanbul and all this other stuff. Um, right? It was supposed to be 250 A321neos, 90ish, three fifty A350s, some cargo planes, but w- w- it's still not actually done. And may- we're, we're recording this on Monday, right? So maybe Tuesday at the Dubai Air Show, Airbus comes back and makes the big deal. But if you look at the announcements so far. You know, there's the Emirates and the Fly Dubai that we talked about. There was a Royal Air Royal Jordanian, each added a couple 787s. Uh, Egypt Air announced a leasing deal for some in. So, there, all the news and orders so far, with the exception of that Air Baltic deal, has really been heavily focused on Boeing. Yeah. And I try not to get caught up in the like, ooh, Boeing won this time around. Like, big picture, both of those companies have plenty of orders in their books. Yep. And honestly, Airbus has plenty. Boeing needs more. <laughs> <laughs> um, get to profitability on some of these programs um, and that might actually never happen but right like cool but it is interesting to see how much Boeing has dominated day one and pending of course this Airbus order coming from Turkish but yeah. if I remember correctly the rumor about Turkish trying to double in size and do all this stuff was supposed to include some Boeing order as well so maybe not 350 planes but we'll see
0: yeah uh, and then, I guess, lastly, as far as plane stuff, uh, Riyadh Air is has been hinting at a number of orders,
1: or yeah. large orders. And- so, they had announced their wide-body order, and they split it between the two. Yep. Um, they did finally unveil their second livery uh, at the Does show. Does it look good? Uh, well, I didn't see the bone saws on it, so that's not right. But, um... Uh, <laughs> uh actually they like tried to do this technical thing where like they had a qr code and you could hold it up and it was a vr unveiling that didn't work apparently that's the word i got huh. from the guys huh. on the screen there but it looks fine there's some purple in it I I, mean, I I liked the dark purple scheme i thought that was cool yeah i think this one is white with just like more it looks more like a euro white livery with some purple up the tail no just what we need perfect yeah um i i still remain dumbfounded i can't remember if we talked about this when i was in lisbon they had tony douglas on several panels um and <clears throat> aside from the part where he looks like a robot or and is wearing like a back brace to keep him upright perfectly stiff he kept getting like sort of aggressive about Riyadh is our brand and Riyadh is what's going to sell this service and Riyadh is what's going to make this airline successful and i just don't understand how that's a viable business model like You got to build connecting traffic. You got like, yeah.
0: There really can't be, I mean, where Riyadh's located, I mean, you're competing directly with Dubai, Qatar, you know, Etihad. Yeah. And I mean, I guess you're in the middle of Saudi Arabia, which is great,
1: but. No, there's, it's, maybe there's enough demand for connecting flow. And listen, the government there is investing a ton to make Saudi Arabia a tourist destination. Um, we'll see if that works. Oh, yeah. But it's, you know, sort of like building another city in the middle of the desert against the backdrop of global warming. Seems like a smart, does not seem like a smart choice to me, but here we are.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's a weird play. Like the whole thing is, it just strikes me as strange. Um, yeah. Anyway. But do you think, so they're going to order maxes?
1: Is that what you're... I mean, there's a rumor of a single aisle order coming around somewhere around fifty firm fifty options. I would imagine if they do max in, much like they did they split their other order, they'll have some A320 Neos as well. Um but that's going to be a little harder because of the delivery slot challenges. While Boeing can sort of rustle up some near term capacity for max orders, Airbus it's a lot harder. Yeah. Um and so they may have to go into secondary leasing market, sort of lessors who have already placed orders and have delivery slots. May not have placed those planes yet, but even there, I'm not sure what's really available. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, well, anything else you want to talk about?
1: Uh, Volocopter and Joby flew some of their uh, electric VTOLS at in Manhattan this weekend. But oh, yeah. really? How How'd that go? Well, they didn't crash.
0: Well, that's always a positive, I think. Yeah, call a win. <laughs> Uh, did they fly them like over the Hudson, or
1: were they yeah, they did one on the on the Hudson and one on the East River from the downtown helibot. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was gonna say on the Dubai Air Show. I mean,
0: there was a new F-15, which is essentially just an upgraded version of the existing F-15. It's, um, I guess, specifically for the Cutter uh, Air Force. Yeah. Um, and then I thought it was interesting that the Russian Knights showed up. Seems, I don't know, weird. But OK,
1: the UAE has made a lot of money funneling passengers to and from Russia and yeah. go and who knows what else. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, in a bonus show for our Patreon subscribers, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some radio losses, uh, JetBlue and Cutter, um, the Haneda applications and details around those. Uh, the Mexicana plane that got painted, the first one, um, Janet Airlines, Janet Airways, Janet Air, whatever you want to call it. And then uh, London City. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about some changes there so if you're a patron subscriber stick around for that if not thanks for listening to the show uh leave us a comment leave us a question We'd love to hear from you and we'll talk to you in the next one happy travels
1: take care